The year is 1995. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. I'm Charlotte. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvel This Year, the podcast from Reading Club, where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. This is 1995, Part 4. Today we're going to be talking about Captain America and Avengers The Crossing, the event. You can find all the issues that we're going to discuss if you want to read along with us in the club in the show notes as well as the full master spreadsheet over on patreon.com slash year, the home of support for the My Marvelous Year podcast, which has been covering from 1961 to 1995. I am joined today, very excited to talk about Operation Rebirth, Captain America, and Avengers The Crossing with Zach. He's got the Jack, Dean. Zach, how's it going? How are you feeling today? Good. What, is that? what does that mean? It's like my least favorite ACDC song. Um, mm. He's got the Jack. You know that one? Like, it's super repetitive. Mm. I, I'm assuming they're either describing someone who has drugs or a really big D. I don't know which. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, like a jackhammer. Yeah, okay. So, But either way, I think it makes you kind of cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. yeah. And we're, we're also joined today by someone even cooler, frankly. And they're even cooler because okay. well, they well. are a... We, we knew, Zach and I knew, we we're getting a little stodgy. We're getting a little old. We're getting a little conservative here in our My Marvelous Year days, right? And we just we could feel that like the podcast industry was moving in directions that we were not prepared to handle, frankly, right? That did not match our reputation, right? Everything's so edgy, everything's so sexy, everything's so violent. Um, so we went out I'm and we got ourselves a young. <laughs> so we went out <laughs> and got ourselves a young hip teen, Charlotte Fierro. How's it going, Charlotte? Hi, doing good. Uh, I'm happy to. So, am I replacing my older safe, older older self, which I didn't know about? Well, no. You're you're really. It, it it's not a perfect metaphor for what happens in Avengers: The Crossing <laughs> because the third host slot was indeed completely unfilled. Um, but you know, it's a similar concept. It's a similar okay, concept okay. of bringing in someone young for the kids. The kids. I. <laughs> I hope <this> is a- <laughs> <laughs> Enormous I, silence. Fair. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I, I I don't know if I'm really the the more edgy. Uh, am I the more edgy? I, I think this metaphor falls apart when you you read the comic too, because like yeah. that definitely means one of us is going to try to kill her, but then Ooh, die yeah. in the process. Right. All right. Which, all right. What? My marvelous your listeners, if you have to guess <laughs> which one of the hosts is going to <laughs> try we, to kill off Charlotte because she gets too already. cool, who will it be, Dave or Zach? Let us know. I feel like we've already talked about this. Like, if Charlotte had to kill one of the other hosts of My Marvelous Year, who would it be? It comes um, up enough yeah, where it's going to be really this? awkward at the trial in like a day. No, he, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, that that's true. But uh, it is going to be great for the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, wh- whoever, <laughs> the moment wh- one of our pod, like our ratings uh, on iTunes <laughs> are going to skyrocket. The, our listenership is going to spike so hard. Like, if one of our hosts kills the other ones... 
Uh, and then and then yeah. the pod transitions to like a serial a true crime pod Uh, yeah oh my god solving the murder (laughs) listen i I don't want to say that's everything i've ever wanted with the show (laughs) because it might be my untimely demise we can just have like the death of of zag dean as the title for each episode for like maybe 10 episodes and then we just bring him back to life when people are bored by it that's that's really (laughs) when people get when people get over it that's Uh, really really smart the next episode (laughs) <laughs> okay, so you can hear us here, I think, mirroring a lot of what's going on in the minds of Marvel editorial during this era. Um, I think the sequence that we're reading today here, again, in the tumultuous 1995, as the comics industry, as Marvel in particular, starts making decisions that really negatively affect the comics industry for a number of years. Um, 1995 is the year where Marvel Comics decides to self-distribute their comics through Heroes World. They buy a distributor and they start distributing on their own and it really messes up comics retail everywhere, right? And it really has these like damaging long-lasting effects both for Marvel and for the industry. Um, And then simultaneously, editorially right now, we mentioned this every episode, but it's like they have no leader. (laughs) They have six editor-in-chiefs, you know, running around, all kind of running their own divisions. Um, and today we're going to talk about the Avengers side of things with Mark Grunewald, who we know, we like, uh, is kind of operating as the, you know, player coach, editor-in-chief of sort of the Avengers side of things, which no no spoiler here, right? No surprise here. 90s is a tough time for the Avengers. They, they've mm-hmm. never yeah. been the coolest thing, you know? Like, even in the stern 80s stuff, like, there's there's interesting stuff happening, and there's good comics. Um, but, you, you know, I, I think certainly if you're going to say, like, well, what are the cool best titles? You know, people would point to X-Men, they'd point to Daredevil, etc. Um, but once yeah. the 90s hits, then that, then that edginess, the explosion of X-Men's popularity of, you know, one thing I was thinking about, too, is, like, do you ever think about how wild it is that X-Force shows up, Liefeld's X-Force, and it's just, and DC is it, and it's just, like, immediately way bigger than the Avengers? Like, way bigger. Yeah. Than the Avengers, like yeah. that's crazy, especially when you look at the content, you know, mm-hmm. like that stuff's wild. So that's what the Avengers are facing, and they're trying to figure out what do we do about that. And what we have here in Captain America, we read uh, issues four forty three to four forty eight. It is the last issue of Mark Grunewald's ten year of his decade run is issue four forty three, which was not in here, but I read it for context before we kick off the Mark Wade Ron Garney era, and uh, and I had to toss it in because it's pretty interesting and it's pretty well done. And, and you have a response by Wade and Guardian Cap to what's going on in the 90s. And then in Avengers The Crossing, you have kind of an opposite response. Um, so, Zach, Charlotte, before we get into the, the specifics of what happens in these comics, I'm curious on your overall experience and your overall expectations for, like, 90s Avengers stuff. Charlotte, let's start with you. Um, <laughs> in existence? Because <laughs> I... I... It's mostly the B-listers, like you, you have maybe one big traditional Avenger, like either Cap or Iron Man, and the rest of it is like Hercules, Crystal, Black Knight, and whoever um, else. A really weird wasp. Yeah. <laughs> don't, forget, weird don't forget lineup. Death Cry. <laughs> How could you forget Death Cry? Yeah, so I was... <laughs> I thought those guys were like Force Works, but no, they're the actual Avengers. They're the actual Avengers, kind of yeah. 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 So... Complete nobodies, and um, yeah, it's it's weird. And they all, I mean, we see that especially in in Captain America. But there's uh, visually, they need to like edge them up. They're all wearing leather jackets, uh, 
Black Knight is wearing the jacket for some reason, uh, and Cap has his weird, terrible armor with a. I don't. I don't even know how to describe a his helmet. Guard. It's like, yeah. yeah, you see his face, except there's one line over his it's nose. Like, it's like a knight's helmet. Very kind of. dumb. Yeah. yeah, it looks very dumb. Um, yeah, I, I have so, no expectations <laughs> you, for nineties comics to be good. Charlotte, you just said it's a bunch of complete nobodies, but with your accent, it did sound like you said snow buddies. Um, <laughs> and I would much rather talk about the two thousand and eight. Uh, Disney comedy, the straight to DVD comedy of the the Airbuds <laughs> sequel. <laughs> then I would talk about nineties <laughs> Avengers uh, because this it's it's so bad. You, you can tell that Dave. I, I think you uh, like are totally right. I think they're like they're trying to emulate X Men in X Force. Yeah, right. Because um, I was reading this, being like, the Avengers like could just be fighting bad guys, right? Like <laughs> they could just like have normal, you know, kind of emulating Justice League. Right, it, yeah. it, it's like they have a template right there that's been running forever. The Justice League, and they very rarely try to—I don't know—try to learn any lessons from that. And they're trying to learn lessons from like X Men and X Factor, and have like a big, sprawling, complicated mythos um, instead of like the Stern stuff, which worked pretty well. Which was like, here's a roster of people, superheroes, and like have them work together on missions like like trying to create this big like time hopping multiverse with these layers of betrayals and backstabs and mantis is here and you know it's playing into the katati is here <laughs> like th this is kind of a, a sequel to the celestial, celestial madonna, madonna baby yep. all right so so let's let's get into the crossing because i think that's yeah. the one that is gonna bring out some criticism just, just get it out of the way <laughs> and there's some stuff to talk about here so the crossing not to be confused with avengers the crossing line which is like another semi-event summarization of some stuff that happened in the literary Hama written Avengers, which was the early 90s, which is the last time I dug the Avengers in any capacity. I actually found that run um, pretty interesting. It's where Hama introduces the character Rage, and um, there's oh, yeah. there's there's some stuff happening in that run that I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty interesting Avengers stuff. Yeah. Avengers The Crossing, on the other hand, this 1995 1995 25-part crossover. Oh, my God. 25-part. <laughs> really five of these. Can I, How? I will wait for a moment while you both thank me for reducing this to five <laughs> issues. I will go ahead and just I'm, – I'm just going to wait. The thing is, I would I would thank you if you had reduced it to zero, but then I wouldn't have known <laughs> that, uh, you know, how, how much you saved us from. Um, the reason. Yeah, thank, you, I mean, thank you very much for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, already, I already thought five was too much for what yes. the story was. I can't imagine what's going on in the 20 other issues. The, but more of the same, let's just put it. Yeah. The reason I include Avengers The Crossing at all, which I did not include in the original run, um, is this storyline, this event, the ramifications are actually very well known. Um, you might be listening to this thinking, I've never heard of Avengers The Crossing, why should I care? You've possibly if you follow the comics landscape heard about what happens and what happens at the end of this spoiler alert is this is the event that gives us teenage tony stark okay this is the event that after the end of the 25 issue or the yeah the 25 parts through iron man through avengers through force works um through everything in the event through some one shots that we're going to talk about a little bit um it gives us teenage tony stark okay and that is clearly <laughs> a reaction to what do we do to make 
Avengers cool. And the approach here, the net of it is, hey, what if we made Iron Man a teenager? Um, and we tried to make him relatable to our younger audiences and uh, tried to kind of maybe make him more like Peter Parker in the Spider-Man verse. So that's that's the outcome of this. Uh, now, if you've heard of Teenage Tony Stark and you haven't read this, you know, and you're a newer reader, you weren't around the 90s, I pretty much guarantee you've never heard anything good about it. Like this is <laughs> this is definitely held up alongside the Clone Saga um alongside I've never even heard of it before this. I didn't you, know. So you had no Teenage Tony no, no. Stark? Charlotte, what about you? Uh-uh. I, I did know it happened. Uh, I had no idea like exactly how it happened, but I know yeah. adult Tony disappeared in the 90s and was very shortly replaced by a, a teenage version of himself. Yeah, it's a it's a short-lived thing, um but it happened and it it really is only ever referenced as like wow, what a bad idea. Can you believe that happened kind of thing? <laughs> Um, I for the longest time, I definitely thought like, oh, I bet that's I thought that was a part of Heroes Reborn, which is what we're going to get to yeah. in like 96 going into 97, where Marvel sort of like reboots their Avengers line. OK, so like, trust me, I'm not spoiling anything to say that those comics are coming. I always thought it was a part of that. No, it's like it happened in main continuity. Um, and here's here's the crossing in the shortest possible version. And And you listeners, I will pause for you to thank me at the end of this. Um, it turns out that Tony Stark, the Avenger, was a double agent for Kang the Conqueror. He didn't even totally realize it himself. He, Kang made him a double agent. The Tony Stark, the adult Tony Stark Iron Man, had been working for Kang for years, okay? Everything we thought we knew was a lie. This, uh, Kang finally comes back, makes his play, has Iron Man in his pocket, has Mantis on his side, the Celestial Madonna, and uh, the Avengers are taken by surprise by evil adult Tony Stark. The only way that they can set things right is to travel back in time through alternate realities, bring a teenage Tony Stark into the picture to uh, before Kang got his claws into it's, him. It's an interesting idea because, like, yeah. who knows how to defeat me better than teenage me, who's just like me but a little, you know, like thinner and less creaky, and, uh, yeah, and just a little more, uh, you know, a, a little quicker on their feet. So I like... could I could pummel my 16-year-old self. <laughs> yeah. <'Cause> of, <laughs> That's all Because of all the, uh, the martial training you've had over the, the years. The martial training and the beard. Mm -hmm. I did not have a beard <laughs> when I was 16. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it, it well, it's, it's also, it's not uninteresting conceptually to make... Uh, Tony Stark, like to be like, oh, and all this time he was a double agent of Kang. But it's but it is such a mid 90s Marvel thing to do that because they're doing the same thing in Clone Saga, right? Like they're doing very similar things with Clone Saga where they're saying, hey, the Spider-Man stories you thought you knew, maybe they were someone else entirely. And it's such a short sighted, I think, misunderstanding of fan reaction where they're going for sort of a shocking story, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and kind of just trying to be like, how can we get people's attention? But then they're just making everyone mad. And like uh, comics readers, especially, <laughs> especially are very, very uh, sensitive, sometimes in very wrong ways to the idea that the experiences they've had, that the continuity they've invested in, um, 
is bunk. You know, like stories that tell you like, yeah, all that continuity you invested in, all those moments, uh, all of that was a lie. You know, that that actually hits comics readers in some very sensitive places. I uh, think yeah, since since past. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, right. One hundred percent why people react really negatively to that is like, you know, it's a, a spoiling of uh, a character that they. And this is, you know, have, I mean, is this? Think about it. think about the comics we've read so far, because um, you're spot on, Zach. Like like the types of stories in Marvel history that get labeled the worst, um, either do something very offensive, or or now is recognized as offensive, or they retcon the heck out of everything. And then in the case of Since Past, they do both. <laughs> right? <laughs> a rare blend. Um, but Avengers the Crossing, is this offensive. the first is this the first major retcon beyond, besides the clone saga, you know? Where they're like, Hey, huh. we're we're changing this so that Iron Man was a double agent of Kang throughout Avengers history, basically. I forget the I mean I forget the first thing. Go go ahead. May, no, it's. I don't think it's completely comparable. But uh, the thing that comes to mind is Jean and Madeline Pryor, like. But it's not one. That's like an on-the-fly like, retcon, yeah. Yeah, and it's like maybe three, three, three different retcons spread a, a, across uh, like five years, also. Right. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. That, that's a good point. Like the one that like recontextualize. I mean, it doesn't recontextualize anything because it's not like anyone planned this, right? <laughs> right. I and mean, it's that, also that's... like. Part of why it's, it's a not lame as <laughs> if future comics will keep this in mind. Like it's quickly going to be forgotten. Resolved about. here, right? But but um, in the moment, but in the moment, you know, we don't know that. And yeah. and coming out of this, Iron Man comics have a teenage Tony Stark. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like this stuff lasts <laughs> until it doesn't. And the only reason it doesn't, um, they aren't really editorial decisions. They're decisions outside, you know, in terms of financials. And in terms of, of yeah. Marvel needing sales and, and trying to escape, you know, Chapter 11 bankruptcy and that sort of thing. Um, I, I do think it is one of the major, major retcons. And I think, you know, not to hold up the Clone Saga as like the gold standard, but the thing the Spider-Man Clone Saga has going for it is there actually is a seed planted in the original Jerry Conway written mm-hmm. story in the yeah. 70s yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. Right? There's yeah, actually a seed there. Yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> there is nothing in Avengers history that ties Iron Man to Kang in a believ- in a way where this is like oh kind like that's kind of an interesting pull that's kind oh mm-hmm. you know they're referencing yeah. that uh that story it's like what story what story sets the stage for the crossing um it, it's really nothing so i think it's it's both out of the blue and like i mean people describe like the the simplest way to describe something you don't like happening to a marvel character is character assassination, right? And this gets thrown around by fans a lot in terms of writers and decisions that like attempt to ruin a certain character that they love and that they've invested time in. Um, the Crossing is is a pretty clear early example of a character assassination of Tony Stark, right? Like it is, it, it literally makes it so you yeah. can't have that character. You have to go get his teenage self. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's true. You know, <laughs> there's, there's two things I want, I want to mention there. Uh, one, yeah, I think you're correct, but like, I would be way more interested in like this, this discussion about, you know, like doing the retcon and character assassination, assassination and all that is like almost beside the point for me because they come just out of terrible comics. Like, yeah. it's not even like, it, you it. know, cause, cause we read, uh, you know, don't actually want to debate it, but like sins past is like 
generally a competently put together comic, right? Like it's part of a, a long run that makes sense. People like that run. And uh, was it uh, JMS like knows how to write a comic like and it works as a story, right? You, sure. you, you don't like the ideas behind the story, but it works as a story. This These are terrible comics, right? They look awful. Yeah. Like they are overloaded with, you know, ter- terrible action moments, terrible characterization. Uh, the, the actual story is unclear and muddy and it's like hopping times and motivations are totally everywhere. So like even getting invested in it enough to say like, well, I can't believe what they do to Tony here. It's like for me, it's it, that is just beyond where I was even thinking when I read this because yeah. I was just like, God, this is a miserable experience just having to like force my eyes to focus on these pages. Can I, yeah. can I just make I mean, a quick call out on the... So yeah. Mike Diodato Jr., one of his earlier Marvel credits here is Avengers uh. 395 um mm-hmm. so he's he's doing some of the avengers he's the artist on with jms on since past really interesting hmm. doesn't feel like um, a coincidence <laughs> no I've, I've enjoyed plenty strange. of this work because those, right, those Charlotte, are okay we... looking comics uh, I, don't, I don't remember specifically if avengers was one of the ones that i hate avengers time slide is one of the ugliest comics uh we've oh, read yeah. like they're very unattractive looking comic. they they are not uh, they're very muddy. Uh, Charlotte, what were we going to say in terms of the quality? You were going to bounce off that. Yeah, because I think the problem is that, uh, like, with what happens with Tony here, not only does it clashes with Marvel history, but it clashes with itself. Like, it's never clear, is he mind control? Is Does he have, like, a new villain personality that uh, has erased the former one? Yeah. Because even in the events itself, he it doesn't make sense... He and by the end he turns against Kang and has this sort well, they, of redemption. Tried, that I, doesn't you, make... you can see them trying to like leave doors open for themselves yeah. with like, oh he was tempted, you know, like it was you know some kind of mind control. But what is it? I think Hawkeye had the same temptation and he resisted. He he drove himself mad to resist. So that's yeah. it wasn't Hawkeye. It was somebody else. But like just a very funny maybe. thing to do. Go Hawkeye. He, he gave himself, <laughs> yeah, I think it was actually Hawkeye who was, like, being, uh, he's been real judgy about Tony killing a bunch of <laughs> their teammates. Uh-huh. He's just a judgy guy. Um, but that, like, they they were leaving this door for, like, well, he was actually mind-controlled. But then it was like, well, that's no excuse because somebody else broke free of it, the corruption, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so. like, there's no there's no ethical question of, of like, what was he right, was he wrong? It's just... Yeah, it it makes no sense with itself and feels just like we're trying to f- desperately find any reason for this to make sense to happen, and it just doesn't make sense. It's it's also like I think it's really bereft of any kind of creative, like creative freshness. Like the idea of having a teenage Tony Stark feels so um, like that idea comes first, and then the story yeah. comes after, right? Like oh, you know, we we need to reset the character. We'll make him young and vibrant, relatable to the teens. Uh, cause like old man, Tony Stark, what can we do with him? And it, and, and it like speaks to the, the lack of like good talent finding at Marvel, right? Like that the, they're, they're not particularly valuing, like finding good, interesting, like new voices and people who are breaking out of the mold of what Marvel does period. Yeah. Like what well, they're we're already, kinda, they're kind of at that midway point because we finally hit that. We finally hit the point now in 95 where we're starting to see the names that will come to define a lot of superhero comics moving forward, sure. right? Like but we're still, starting it's to still, see. Well, I'm, I'm talking about like if you want to do something with Iron Man, if you want to rejuvenate Iron Man, you know, you get into science adventures, 
right? Like you can lean into that and there's so much possibility there with somebody who's like this, you know, tech god to be able to create stuff. And it's like you get somebody who has a a sci-fi creative spark for, you know, like who could do stories in a sci-fi mode like Jack Kirby could, like Hickman can, like Al Ewing could, right? Like something like that. But like instead, it's just still stuck in the X-Men rut. And all the writers they have are still in the like the X-Men universe right and writing stories that are akin to the stories that we've been reading for 15 20 years yeah um so well, and yeah, it's, also, it's, it's like as a kang story it's yeah. also quite bad as well um it <laughs> yeah. does, you know because i still I haven't think... had a good kang story just to, to be clear oh no i, I like slightly disagree uh i, I like no i like, no, Simonson, I like walt simon king stuff yep i yeah. i like that that's my favorite like i like Simonson the i like the story, origin yeah. i like the debut with stan and jack i think that when he's sitting yeah, on the fun a, little it's floaty okay. You know, yeah, yeah I guess that one's, that one's kind of fun. But flirting it's... with him. There's good stuff in there. What's um, happening with Wasp here, Dave? Can you explain? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Why does she look more like Mantis than Mantis does? Yeah, I she's cannot... like an actual bug now. Here's yeah. here's what happens <laughs> from my memory <laughs> with the Wasp, which I got to tell you, this will not be accurate. But here's here we go. Um, Tony, it turns out, brings her to financial ruin. So that's part of his plan is just like bankrupting the Wasp, which feels like a real... Like, uh, I don't know, just like a spit on you while you're down kind of move. Um, she <laughs> yeah. also mutates into an actual bug wasp during yep. this. So it's like using, which is which is kind of something Peter David played with in the last Avengers story. Um, why this never happens to Hank? Like, why, never, why, doesn't, why doesn't Hank start turning into a literal Ant-Man, but Janet is always turning well, into cause a that wasp be lady? Sexy. Come on, you tell me. Um, gosh, I'm so turned on by wasps. <laughs> I just have to get that out there. I just have to publicize. Wasp ladies? Every, yeah. No, no, not wasp ladies. Wasp just, lady, just wasps. bee ladies. Every time I'm running for my life lady. from a little wasp nest in her backyard, I'm simultaneously so aroused. <laughs> I mean, video games get that. Final Fantasy and their bee, Final Fantasy 7 and all the bee girls, uh, Resident Evil 7 and the insect mama there. You know, like, you know I think uh, animated, understand. I think animated Justice League. Don't they have like a sexy bee lady in the DC universe? Like, isn't that? I haven't, I haven't seen that. Uh-uh. Queen bee or something like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So anyway, just publicizing. Uh. You know, we're we're pro bee here. <laughs> yeah. Let's maybe not say we're pro wasp. Um. Because that has different connotations. <laughs> well, I'm not like anti wasp. <laughs> we're anti white uh, Anglo-Saxon Protestant here on my marvelous year. That's what, no. no that's what I was talking about. We have a whole nest of them under our deck. <laughs> we have a whole nest. <laughs> Of white Anglo-Saxons under our deck, and gosh, do they chase me every time I try to get them with the spray. Uh, it is it is rough stuff getting out to mow the lawn here at the Busing household. But yeah, no, wasp mutates into like an actual bug, and uh, I don't know. It's just like it's all just weird and strange. And just I think the thing it feels it feels this way for many of the characters in this book. It's just like there is no plan for these characters, and there doesn't feel like anyone really gets them or cares to. You know, which is like mm-hmm. a harsh thing to say about, I guess, like creative people trying to tell stories with them. But like, you know, that's what I'm saying with Kang is like the world wants good Kang comics to read right now. Like Kang the Conqueror is having a moment because of MCU hype. And you can't tell somebody to read The Crossing, even though <laughs> conceptually it should be a big Kang story. You know, you have this massive Kang event like we have all these Kang events in the 90s and like you can't hardly point to any of them because they're just absolute dense clusters um and this one's definitely definitely one of the worst which is why 
I reduced the 25 part <laughs> experience down to <laughs> yeah, five, five issues five. where it's just like, listen, <clears throat> just dive in head first, get a feel for it. Um, and just see what's happening here and, and just, you know, the, the, and by the end of it, you'll get the teen Tony experience. Like that's all you need. Um, which, which is a bummer, obviously, because like, it's not like weird comics can't work in this moment. You know, it's not like, um, it's not like a gamble isn't worth it for the Avengers. Like taking a gamble is worth it. I would say. Um, I think the this the is problem, the opposite of that. I don't think well, this is a gamble at all. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think too, like it's so reactionary. It's so mm-hmm. it's not inventive. And it, like we're going to talk about this. I just I as we read the Captain America stuff, which we're going to transition to, that is so the opposite approach of what this is, which is which is leaning into hey, what makes Cap good, and really questioning like why do we value Captain America? Why has this character lasted the test of time and both Grunewald and Mark Wade and Ron Garney find some interesting ways to explore that and you you feel a love and a passion and like an interest in the character at no point in Avengers the Crossing do you feel that for Tony Stark do you feel that for anyone it's all just I think like you said Zach like there's a there's a stated end point and everything is just checking boxes to get there um Mm -hmm. Un- yeah. Until it happens, yeah. you know. Uh, so, all right. So, what else? What What are the reactions? Good King what other story main uh, just came out. Timeless number one. Which okay, is, uh, sure. Did you, yeah. did you read Jed that? McKay Jed written McKay? Timeless yeah. new new Marvel. Pretty comic. pretty yeah. good. I read that just as solo. I don't even know what's up in Marvel. You know, twenty twenty two, and that's and it's kind of a teaser for the future of. I, I think it came out like yeah. right at the end of twenty twenty one, and it's a little bit of a wink towards like here's all the big stuff we have planned for twenty twenty two. But like. Right. As a yeah. King story, it worked for me without any context. It was pretty fun. Because I was, go- was going to ask you, Dave, then what would you recommend as a a good King story to introduce people to the character even more recent than the 90s? Because I, I, I don't know what I like, would... What's a good one, period? Yeah. King <laughs> like, is tricky. I do I do agree. Yeah. Um, like I said, I like the original Stan Jack. I like the Simonson Council of King stuff. I like what Roger Stern did with that. So I think there are some King stories you've read that you can recommend. Um Post '90s Kang, I think there's one big one that I can't reference because it'll spoil something. Um, Charlotte, you definitely know it. Uh, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And um, I like the use of Kang in Hickman's Avengers, even though it's very small. In the uh, oh, um, I didn't even original sin, he yeah, he's got some good moments in that. Uh, but that's not a Kang story. I, you know what I actually like is um, uncanny. Avengers okay. by Remender with, I think, like Jerome Opinion on a lot of the art. Uh, yeah. That does a big, really big Kang story in the Marvel Now era. And I actually really like that stuff. I think it, okay. there's a lot of good criticism about why that run isn't necessarily great. Uh, we actually just posted one of our Marvel Then 10 year retrospectives on Uncanny Avengers. Uh, it's up on Combo Curl right now. Um, but I actually dig that run and I like I like these King there. Okay. But, but like, uh, you know, even trying to say, and there's also a Kang miniseries that just came out uh, that I haven't read, but that uh, CBH writer David Bowen liked. Um, uh, I think it's written by Jackson Lansing. Uh, I got to check that one out. It's like five issues, just Kang. I mean, he's a he's a hard character to write, right? Like writing these time traveling supervillains. We've talked about this on the show before, Zach. Like, like Kang is a difficult villain to get right. I think um, it can get very messy very easily, and I think that's the trap that he falls into a lot. Uh, so it's 
I, I don't yeah, know. You it's have like to have the <clears throat> the right balance to be able to write a time travel story. Well, and a time know? traveling villain is the yeah. thing too, because like you know, like Doctor Who stories, like there's a template there that is just like so evergreen and so everlasting that like you know, like I, I, this isn't a spoiler, like Dan Slott and Mike Allred jump into Silver Surfer and they're basically like let's do let's do Doctor Who you know and like there's a template and a style of storytelling there that is just like hey we're going to hop through time we're going to go different places and that's kind of the template and the and the premise with a villain you can't quite do that because like Kang's always literally trying to conquer the world like his ambitions are always so high mm-hmm. that to tell the type of story that Kang would actually experience it's like you know, you have to like <laughs> have these like oh, and the time stream's collapsing. Oh, and here's a mortis, and everything's going crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's a he's a really difficult villain to write. I mean, I guess the Celestial Madonna stuff is is interesting with him, but I wouldn't I wouldn't point somebody to that and be like, here's a good Kang story to start with because it's so confusing as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and time, Avengers: The Crossing doesn't stories doesn't kind of have to. Oh, sorry. Go on. Nope, I was just finishing by saying Avengers of the Crossing uh, does not crack the code. It does not crack the nope. king conqueror. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. yeah, any time travel stories, you have to... I think most of the time, unless you're really going to invest in it, you just kind of have to uh, like hand wave away most of it and then just make it make sense to the audience without it actually making sense. I mean, that's what Doctor Who does. Doctor Who is not actually concerned with trying to draw like cohesive timelines, right? Like those are... No, you just do it and you play. Like you just right. do like it. End, and play. Endgame does a good job at that, right? Like, Endgame's pretty good at just kind of hand waving away the, you know, like he, here's the the <clears throat> here are the stakes, right? Like set the stakes and set the bounds of what we want to do, and then that's it, right? That's all you really yeah. have to worry about. And I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call the crossing a time travel story per se, because nah, time travel is an excuse to get to the point where they they want it to be. But I don't think it's it's the main thing the story is about. Like, I, I think they actually travel through time, like maybe one or two issues, and that's it. Well, yep. you do have yep. characters who have come from other realities and from outside time, right? And yeah. that's kind of at the start of this, which I did not include in the reading. Um, we experienced some of that in the one shot here, Avengers Time Slide, which is not on Marvel Unlimited, um, which is frankly a very strange oversight. Not because, like, obviously, this event we don't think very highly of. Um, but it is a pretty critical issue in yeah. this event, uh, which you know is otherwise included in Marvel Unlimited because it brings us to an alternate reality where teenage Tony Stark exists, um, and it introduces you know it does like a very short term alternate reality time travel kind of story where you get different you know versions of of Marvel characters and this sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you get like there's a yellow jacket here that we don't know. There's a Luna Maximoff from the future, the daughter of Crystal and Pietro, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it's it, it's worth it in the sense that it makes the pieces add up. Um, it is not actually good reading. Uh, but again, like no. if you want to read this one, you have to find a copy outside of Marvel Unlimited. And that's all I'll say about that. Eh. Eh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Captain America. <laughs> Yes, um, please. So let, I, uh, let's talk about the contrast for sure. Yeah, and uh, I'm. Uh, I think I mentioned this on a variant cover. I'm reading through all the Captain America comics from the beginning right now. I'm up to like 140 right now. So I'm just going to talk about those Captain America instead of the Mark Wade run. I think. Um, so yeah, well, Stanley, we'd, we'd love to retread all that ground we um, covered uh, you know, three years ago. That sounds amazing. 
yeah, I've got a different perspective now, and I think it's time. Actually, you know what? I might I might do a little uh, brief on this during a variant once I'm like through, because I'm reading all kinds of weird runs uh, that I never did before. But um, yeah, Mark, has wait, any, has uh, anything I, stood out to you that you would actually recommend that we did not? No, I, I'm still very much stuck in the Stan Lee stuff, and Stan Lee does not know what to do with Captain America except make him like sad <laughs> about Bucky and uh, what's what's her face, uh, Shannon, Sharon, Sharon, Sharon. Right, like that's it. That's the entirety of <laughs> Captain America's personality for dozens and dozens and dozens of issues. Is just sitting in his apartment alone, being like, "Man, I wish Bucky wasn't dead and Sharon was my girlfriend." <laughs> yep. Like, and yep. that's it for a really long time. That's so why Stan. To... That's why Stan was good at teens. Because yeah, right. If like, you want to write people being moody in a room <laughs> alone, write a teen. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, uh, yeah, believable. He he does try to put that sad sack template basically on all the heroes he writes and it only works for some of them you know captain america just and then there's there's nothing else for them to do except whatever anyway now i'm actually just talking about it at length Let's um, but talk i'm about very excited i mean stuff. there's so many really good runs um i'm excited to get to and uh one of them is the grunwald run because i really want it 137 issues and we've read probably 20 the most of, of anyone ever like Yep, I uh, I can't wait to get to that, and we read the finale of it here, which I'm glad you added this one in you know, at the last minute. Yeah, it's a good. We it was a good addition, I think, to transition because it tells you what we're coming from and where we're going to, um, mm-hmm. and it also does you know just directly build into kind of the premise. Um, so 443 is Grunwald's last issue. Uh, it is it, so you know Charlotte at the front of this mentioned Cap is wearing this ridiculous armor. Um, this yeah. absurd nine, like literal '90s armor. It's kind of like an Iron Man suit. Uh, this, this is. It is very '90s in the sense of everyone trying to get edgy, cool costumes during this time. But Grunwald is actually like he's self-aware enough to play with. Like Steve Rogers hates it, and he's only wearing it because he's got like a heart condition right now. <laughs> so there's like there's a <laughs> built-in story reason, in. yeah. <laughs> you know, as opposed to just like everyone's edgy and cool. Um, and it's, but it, it's not the worst, you know, it, it like if it the become... if the nose shield wasn't so strange, yeah. I don't know that I'd think that much of it. You know, yeah. if it was just a yeah. normal cap mask with little night ears, I'd be like, OK, it's a night cap armor. Like it looks like something Tony would design for him. But you know, it is very weird to see cap flying. <laughs> I do have to say that <laughs> in like shooting little missiles, I think. Yeah, that's fair. Am but I, so I, that, imagine did they want matter. this to be like his costume for for the 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 future like for the next few years or was it always intended for this to stop uh, at uh, 343 like well, that? well i mean i think uh 443 here so i i think like okay. it's kind of you know it's like he's got this cart condition like he's wearing it to to help with that and then in this issue you know it's he's told he has 24 hours to live um basically and he spent and it's just like a one day cap's last day on earth him reflecting on what to do he's literally flying around at certain points being like hmm should i try to find the red skull and battle him uh, i don't know he's far away i don't know where he is i'll waste all day <laughs> doing it you know so he's like literally trying to figure out what to do and what he winds up doing is not a big super villain <laughs> battle which is great Some pretty funny stuff yeah like he instead yeah. he just has conversations with um with the people he loves with the people I don't know if we can around call him it conversations exactly yeah he just goes he just goes to prison to uh to neg crossbones for a while 
That's pretty great. <laughs> and he I, he calls Sam Wilson to ask him what's up. Sam tells him his nephew got shot, and Steve's and Steve's response is like, "Oh no, that's too bad." Anyway, see you later. <laughs> yeah, I guess Sam's every is still... conversation is so quick that yeah, yeah it feels yeah. very weird. It's I I think the the idea behind this comic uh, is really interesting. And the in like I can kind of see what he's trying to do, but he just ends up making Captain America seem like a real jerk here. Like yeah. this does not come across as like the touching final moments of a man, you know, reckoning with his life. It comes across as someone who's just like still bouncing off people in really abrasive ways. Uh, so like he he does he goes to prison to like quote unquote redeem Crossbones <laughs> or find something you know redeeming in a, in a villain. And he was just like, immediately, Crossbones sits down and is like, what do you want, Capper? He goes, nice of them let you keep your mask on, spare us the sight of your face. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's his first words to him. And then he, like, just continues to be like, you're a psychopath, you're delusional. Uh, And then, like, and then has the goal. And then has the gall to fly away and be like, I can't figure out why I haven't redeemed any of my villains. He says he's trying to redeem Crossbones, like to see if he can get a shot of redemption. And then later on, he, he runs across uh, Batrock. And Batrock is just like hinting in any way he can that he, he wants to like... Uh, maybe not have a complete redemption, but he needs help from Cap, and he yeah. wants to spend time with Cap, and Cap is just like, no, leave me alone, go go away, and like, well, you were just saying you wanted to give redemption to your villains, Batrock is right here. <laughs> and he doesn't, I mean, the way he talks to Crossbones is like, yeah, I thought maybe you'd be into being redeemed, but you're probably too much of a jerk <laughs> to want redemption, <laughs> right? Like, and then he's yeah. like, wow, this guy's unsavable. This is very weird. <laughs> um, And then, uh, what a weird note. We get to go see the death of Arnie Roth. Yeah. Uh, if anyone who doesn't remember Arnie Roth, uh, it is one of the first gay characters in Marvel from J.M.D. Mateus. Um, because it was like Arnie and his uh, his quote unquote roommate. I can't remember his yeah, name. Yeah, like it was, was hint- he was hinted to as to being gay, but it was never like an actual canonically. But it was thing. clear, right? Like it yeah, wasn't no, even yeah. like justice J.M.D. For Mateus Arnie. did We still need justice could. for Arnie. Yeah. Yeah, really ridiculous uh, here just to be like, yeah, he's dying of cancer. And then Cap kisses him on the cheek with a, a kiss of death and he immediately dies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you it, know what? It's like, not even clear if Cap realizes that he's dead. Cause I he, know, he because he, he just, he says, Arnie doesn't seem to be fighting it. He seems to be surrendering gracefully. And it was like, he just flatlined as you like <laughs> yeah. walked out of the room. Um, yeah, I knew this was coming. I had looked this up at some other point because I was curious what happens to... Marvel's like first yeah. gay characters, and they both die. Um, at least you know what I, I in my memory, he died of AIDS here. I had thought he had like died of AIDS, so uh, at least he didn't do go down that route. There's there's nothing yeah. there's nothing here that would tell you this is a gay character aside from the the D Maddie's run and um, Cap describes him as gentle <laughs> would be the closest. <laughs> the it's closest also like it's come. been it's been 15 years since this character has been mentioned in a comic, so yeah. like. I, the majority of people who read this at the time, or even now, because, you know, Arnie Roth is not that big of a deal, uh, are not going to have any idea who this man is. And it doesn't contextualize it. It's very, it's a very strange addition. I don't know why Grunewald was like, I got to tie, got to put interesting. a bow on I don't, that guy. I don't know. Well, and it's it's not like, I don't think he's a big part of the Grunewald run. Um, it feels like something writers could do more with, even now, that like, Cap had a gay best friend for like years. Like, that's... 
something yeah. that, <laughs> that you could do. You could tell stories about that. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, you're spot on. It's a, it's an oddly paced issue because Grunewald's obviously trying to do a lot in a little bit of time. You know, you can see the wheels turning, and I do like. I, I do like the idea of Captain America suddenly faced with his last 24 hours being like the one thing, the one thing I wish I had done was redeem villains. Like I, I'm a sucker for that. Like I, like we just rewatched um, Spider-Man No Way Home last night. I watched for the second time with my wife, um, mm-hmm. which obviously is a movie that is like very big on like, do, do people deserve second chances? That sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Do villains deserve to be redeemed? Did you go I like the theaters that. again? Uh, no, it? it's, it's out on uh, digital. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so my wife hadn't seen it, so we watched that. Um, but it's but it's very much having the conversation about like you know should should we give these villains a second chance? And Cap, a Captain America that is actually interested in that is very interesting to me. I think mm-hmm. it, and there's actually you know and like just comics in general like there's a Steve Orlando written issue of Wonder Woman that does this. I want to say it's issue like 55, but it's somewhere in that range um, where it's just Wonder Woman going to a prison every day to talk to this this woman she put away and just trying to connect with her. And, like, actually just trying to have a conversation. Like, clearly actually doing the thing that Cap is describing here. The problem is, like, we have not seen Captain America actually do this. Um, With the exception of, like, Diamondback, right? Like, Diamondback is someone who's a part of the Serpent Society. And then Cap kind of brings her under his wing to a degree. They have, like, sort of a romantic thing. Um, But, like, that's, that's an actual, like, breaking good kind of scenario, potentially. Mm -hmm. You know, a la, like, Spider-Man and Black Cat. Um, but otherwise, it's like I, I actually like this idea of Cap. I just don't think that's the Steve Rogers that we know from the comics. Like he's yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't think so. And I think it's almost the opposite. Like Steve can be a little stiff and a little you know intolerant <laughs> of people yeah. trying to change, right? Like, and that's something we've seen even with Diamondback. He's all also you know like all right, but I'm keeping an eye on you. I'm gonna make sure you don't step out of line, right? Like he's always got that. Like he's a you know yeah he's yeah always for got sure a little bit of a cop to uh, to his affect there. Yeah, he's a um, he's a '40s super soldier. I mean, that's right, that's exactly. a part of the Which, character. You know, absolutely, I, I think that balance has always been interesting. It, it's just it, it's strange here. It's kind of weird. Like, Grunewald seems to like I I don't know. Like, he, like he's not nailing the tone with Captain America in his final issue. It's um well, maybe not. But it's also like it's kind of a sudden thing for Cap, and he's so he just feels like a failure. Like the entire. It's yeah. a really interesting yeah. read on. How would Captain America feel on his last day on Earth? And it, it's the answer Grunwald comes up with is, I didn't do enough. I failed. Everyone, I disappointed everyone. Um, and it's a very negative internal sort of uh, assessment <laughs> of the life of Captain America. I don't, I don't know that it it really works with the Steve Rogers we've read, but I do yeah. find it an interesting interpretation for someone who had spent a literal decade with the character. Um, you know, and I, I think maybe the thing he's going for the most is just this idea. And it feels a little bit like maybe like Superman would react just that, that like I could have done more just that constantly striving to be like, but wait, no, I could have done more. It's all, I always, always, always could have done more. And, and I think he's kind of going for that because it feels heroic, but it, it actually just winds up kind of mopey and sad. It lands in a weird place though, of like that he's not. Uh, I, I think you, you could do that, like someone ending their, you know, the end of their day is being like, I didn't do enough. And either the comic is signaling like, no, of course they did. And he's just, you know, so like, so Superman-ishly self- selfless that, you know, of course he doesn't think he does enough because he'll never like meet the standards that he reaches. Right. So you, you can kind of assert that. Or you could talk about like, 
Yeah, like, he fell short, and this is, like, a sad moment of a man who can never, like, you know, live up to his own expectations, right? It, it's either it either going to be kind of, um, you know, like, reasserting his importance to the world through the people around him, or you could try to dive into his psychology of somebody who, like, is, you know, d- depressed because of uh, how their, their self-esteem <laughs> basically doesn't let them live up to this. And it doesn't either of those. It kind of just ends. <laughs> like, it kind of yeah. just ends with Cap, like, drifting, like... All right. Well, I talked to Batrock for a couple hours. I wonder if he was just humoring me. I'm yeah, he has tea with Batrock, and then he lays down to die. I mean, that's yeah, that's the end of the comic. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know yeah. how true it is, but and I don't know the circumstances of uh, Grunwald leading the title, but it feels a bit like Grunwald being like, "I only have one issue left to do the rest of what I wanted to do." So let's try to do as much as I can in one issue. I, I don't know if that's actually true, and if the I have 24 hours left can be, in a way, uh, Grunwald uh, doing what he can with the time he has left on the title. But I, I thought that was an maybe interesting reading of it, uh, and maybe an, an explanation an explanation of why the comics feel so, maybe not stuffed, but it feels like we're switching from one thing to another very quick uh, with Steve doing everything he wants to do uh, before he dies. There's, yeah. I think I have two final thoughts on this. One, there's a version of this comic that is an all-time great. That is Cap's mm-hmm, final yeah, 24 yeah. hours, yeah. like every page is an hour or something. You know, like there's a version of this mm-hmm. that is like a perfect comic. This is not that. It's messy. Um, and that's fine. My second thought is it's actually really disappointing that like Batrock doesn't become an Avenger after this. Yeah. <laughs> because he shows up desperate for redemption, like you said, Charlotte. Cap is claiming the entire issue that that's what he wishes he had done. A good bow on the end of the run would have been Cap actually achieving that with Batrock as they have tea in the mansion and and Steve saying my final wish is for the Avengers to give Batrock a chance that would have been cool that would have been pretty interesting yeah. and then we'd have Batrock yeah. stories uh that does not come into play nor is it considered <laughs> yeah 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 that would be that'd be kind of an interesting uh, way like him thinking that he's never really done enough and then cut to Batrock like showing up at the Avengers mansion <laughs> asking for like a membership form or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that would have been a nice ending. Um, so, right. well, I'm going to email Grunwald Mark Grunwald right now. <laughs> well, he's, 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 dead. he's deceased, so RIP. Well, um, he probably but, still has an email address I can send this to. Yeah, let's still write a letter, I think, because this <laughs> maybe they can correct the digital edition. Um, so what this does, though, is it does set the stage for, yes, this new run. We're going to have Mark Wade and uh, Ron Garney taking over on a Captain America run that is very well regarded. And we hear, so initially I, I had us reading 444 to 446, um, which are just the issues that came out in 1995. Uh, I actually tried to extend that to 448 because that is the end of this first arc. And I was, as I was reading, I was kind of like, well, we should probably just finish this because it's, a, it's an interesting, good story. Captain America 444 is Mark Wade's mission statement. And it comes in and it, it lingers on, okay, we have the death of Captain America. What's the world's reaction? What are the Avengers' reaction? And this is where we see right away, like right away, that Wade is like, hey, I'm going to celebrate this character. I'm going to have everyone talk about why they respect the heck out of him and why they love this character so much and why we as readers who have grown up with Captain America adore him and and have enjoyed stories in the past. You know, so, so Wade's one of Wade's big things in the 90s and we're coming close to like kingdom come with alex ross which which definitely touches on this on the dc side is looking at the push of of 90s quote-unquote edginess and violence 
and saying, um, hey, actually, these heroes were always cool. You know, like these these heroes were always great. Uh, and here's why. And sort of restoring that sense of wonder and awe in the core of the characters mm-hmm. as they stand rather than the Avengers, the crossing solution of like, well, how do we change Iron Man to make him cool? Wade's like, Captain America's already cool. I don't have to change anything. I just have to tell good stories that fit the core of what Captain America is. And it's very welcome. And it's also like this approach holds up better down the road by far. Like any any, comics that try to meet the zeitgeist, that try to meet the cultural trends, when you look back on them, as we do right Mm -hmm. now, it's just like, oh, what a weird 90s event, right? They become a part of the cultural movement, and in this case, a negative one with Crossing, right? Whereas Cap is like the Wade and Gardner run. People are like, yeah, it's a really good Cap story. You should check it out. doesn't matter when it came out. It's just a good Captain America story. Um, Charles, let's start with you. What, what did you think about this run? What did you think about this arc uh, with Wade and Gardner coming out of the title? I thought it was interesting. Um, I didn't love it. Uh, as, so first thing is it's um, it goes back very quickly on the end of um, of Grindelwald's run. Like, Cap is just alive again, and we're like, we'll see how that happens. But it basically just happens, and there's not much, um, like, grappling with what happened at the end of Grindelwald's run, which I don't necessarily need the next writer to completely delve into a, a like, a direct continuation of what just happened. But it feels a bit like completely erasing and saying what just happened didn't matter, which is a, a bit weird. Um, and then it goes into a Red Skull and Captain America team up, mm-hmm. which I don't <laughs> love as an idea, because I usually like um, superhero, supervillain team ups. Like, I like a good Spidey, Doctor Octopus team up. But with Captain America and the, the Skull, like, he's literally a neo-Nazi. Like, it's not like uh, Mr. Not a Mister neo-Nazi, who... he's just a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's an old yeah, style yeah. he's just like I mean, a literal Nazi. It is baked into this, like, they do not forget that, right? Like, Red Skull is attempting to win, like, they're fighting Hitler together so that Red Skull can be the, the more prominent Nazi <laughs> in the world, right? No, I, I know, but it, it, still feels, it still feels out of character to me that Cap would still be like, okay, I am going to... F- Forge even a temporary alliance with the Red Skull to beat Hitler. I feel like, and it, I know it sounds like a bit like not my my Captain America wouldn't do this, but I do feel like it is weird for Steve to to go through with it and actually ally himself with the Red Skull even temporarily. Mm. I feel like a I feel like he would stand his ground and be like, no, even in this situation, I won't, I won't uh, like, I won't. Compromise myself like this? I don't know. I think the it, uh... I think the thing that Wade and Garney do that is the attempt to get around that. So the the premise for this is a group finds you know they they come and take Cap's body before he dies in his armor. They put him back on ice to rejuvenate him. That's where we get the story title, which is Operation Rebirth. So we spend like one issue with him dead, quote unquote, right? With everyone reflecting on that, and then the rest of it is this Operation Rebirth, and. It's all led by like Sharon Carter in an alliance who was believed to be dead, is not, um, and in an alliance with the Red Skull, as we say here. And the way they try to get around, wait, Cap aligning with the Red Skull? Like, it, yes, I think you're right, Charlotte. Like, it has a very different flavor than what I, something I enjoy, which is like Doctor Doom leading the Fantastic Four, yeah. right? Like, you can do that and have it be strange and have a story that works in a way that you can't do as easily with the Red Skull because, like you said, literal evil, you know, um, personified. The way they try to get around it is just like, 
Yeah, but they're fighting Cosmic Cube Hitler. And that's <laughs> worse. Uh, the, the cube cult is one word is yeah. very funny to me. All the cube uh, compound words here. Cube cult and they talk about Red Skull's uh, cube lust. One word. <laughs> that's good, yeah. Which, that really cracked me up. Having some yeah. cube lust. <laughs> Just can't Zach, get enough of Zach, those right having, angles. Having been read, uh, having having been reading all the cap, how did this work for you? Uh, how did Operation Rebirth? Do you do you feel the same as Charlotte? Do you have a different reaction? No, no, think? this this worked fine for me. I I, I liked it as a. Uh, I, it, it is interesting. I, I feel like writers want to like Red Skull is such a um, robust villain for Captain America, so like I, I feel like a lot of writers gravitate to using him immediately. Uh, with Captain America when they yeah. start out their run, which is dangerous, right? Yeah. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of. I mean, doesn't the um the Brubaker run? Well, the Brubaker run does some stuff with Red Skull like immediately. Um, similar but, kind of approach, frankly, to uh to what Wade and Garney here do. But like Grunwald on Grunwald, you know, the one thing he does is he doesn't. He very purposely avoids that until it's the big reveal late in the game. Well, I think JMD Mateus ended his run with Red Skull, yeah. so. It would have been, uh, you know, kind of silly to like immediately then do another Red Skull story. Yeah, but, yeah, no, sure. it worked fine for me, and I, I thought it was like interesting. This, you know, like coercion of Captain America into having to work with him, and also like getting transfused with Red Skull's blood. Right, that's the only blood with the Super Soldier Serum in it besides Captain America that could save him is the Red Skulls. So because like, the skull is in a clone body of Steve Rogers. Yeah, I missed yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> he says that, and I was like, oh, interesting. All right, I got that's it. A, that's a Grunwald thing. Yeah, I'll catch up on like, that. I think uh, that's eventually. the end of you, like of like um, John. Uh, what's his name? U.S. agents as the Captain America, John uh-huh. Walker. Uh huh. Mm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't remember that if if I read it. But um, yeah, it. Uh, I, I I think this works pretty well. Like, um, it feels very like. I I don't know. This this doesn't feel like um, you know, Immortal Hulk, where it's like here's a new thesis statement for the Hulk. And yeah, we're definitely in not. A brand new direction. <laughs> this is like let's get. You know, let, let's get out of the 90s and back to the 70s, but, like, with modern storytelling sensibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That is Which funny is, because good. it is a back-to-basics cap is, story. Yeah. And I think but, a lot it, of times back-to-basics yeah. stuff. But it, I think it does work. And I think we're actually going to see a decent amount of back-to-basics stuff. Because, like, the Marvel 90s experience for, for the X-Men and for X-Force is just a progression of sort of defining what is what are 90s comics in, in Marvel, right? And same for all the, the Wolverines and the Ghost Riders and the Punishers, right? They fit that culture. But for everyone else, it's kind of an experience of, like, trying to play a sport that they don't play, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's like football players trying to play baseball, right? And it, it, it's just a little awkward and it's a little uncomfortable. And so we're going to get a lot of back-to-basic stuff over the next over the end of the 90s as as writers and creatives kind of try to figure out like what made this stuff work in the first place because it's not working right now and like that's the thing with cap with iron man with avengers where it's not just like creators like feeling pressure although it's that it's also like these books aren't selling anymore and you have retailers telling marvel like nobody cares about tony stark nobody cares about reed richards and they're trying to figure out how to fight that too you know um, and that's obviously gonna gonna instill its own sense of pressure, especially as Marvel is struggling financially. So, I I think the back to basics thing, like now, I have a real resistance to back to basics as a fan of Marvel comics in 2022. Um, I it doesn't. There can be good runs that do things that go, like because getting to the core of a character, getting to the essence of what made them work in the first place, 
is always something I'm going to enjoy. I just don't want a comic to wear it so openly on its sleeve that it's mm-hmm. like that is the only thing it's celebrating because that to me feels very regressive. Three um, Jokers, yeah. right? Like Three Jokers is very much like I'm I'm doing the killing joke. I love the killing joke and I want to be the killing joke. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Brings in th- brings Three Jokers to the party. Wow. Three Jokers has entered the <laughs> chat. I was not prepared for this. <laughs> oh my goodness. People, you you and I are aligned on this. Uh this you know what? Like I I guess I was going to say like what are we aligned on? Unthinking three <laughs> jokers is terrible. Um, oh, okay, yes, and, and people get people get mad about this one. Uh, but no. like, but not comic critics. Like comic the the comic crit people that we chat with, like on Twitter and stuff, are into it. But like that comic's pretty popular. Uh, Jeff Johns uh, is it? Jeff Johns, yeah, Alan Moore yeah. impersonations in Three Jokers and Doomsday Clock have diehard fans. They yeah, absolutely yeah, have people... diehard fans. I think critically, <laughs> they the... are disasters. The period <laughs> I was uh, I was actually going into what is it comic book roundup when I was like getting monthly polls and like just okay. dropping ratings I wasn't even writing anything and there was <laughs> people who like I I don't know I, I rated it like a three or a four out of ten or something and someone who was just in there yelling at every person who rated it below like a nine <laughs> yeah. of like you don't know Damn. good comics and like oh I guess this one's too smart for you so like yeah people. People are heated about uh, Jeff Jones' Three Jokers. It, anyway, it feels um, like, but yeah, we don't need to have. That oh yeah, no, please, three, you get, you want to. Um, but it, but yes, I think that that type of style, like if I was a reader, I, I'm, I guess the thing I'm wrestling with is like if I was a reader in 1995 and Wade and Garney came in with this back to basics approach, would I have been resistant to that the way I would be now? Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I would say, as someone reading through the decades and kind of allowing for it you know and and kind of craving it more just based on where marvel comics are i definitely appreciate it more here and i think i think it's a good story at the end of the day like it is a it's a big cosmic cube alternate reality kind of story that doesn't lose control of itself you know that doesn't get way out of hand um i love red skull captain america cosmic cube stories um Mm -hmm. wade brings sharon carter back like he's clearly just trying to build a foundation for like let's be let's be able to tell good captain america stories again i think issue 448 where the story ends an oversized issue um is kind of a perfect conclusion to this story because it does the thing where red skull traps captain a cube he gives him everything he thinks he wants he's got bucky um the dr erskine never died his mom's alive right cap's got everything and i i actually really love that idea of the skull using the cube to make cap happy to get him out of the picture and then cap somehow still you know, figuring it out and coming out to, to stop him from, I don't know, becoming whatever the Red Skull always wants to be, which is, you know, the... In charge. The the leader <laughs> yeah. of the World Reich that he just took down, but he just he's only taken down because he wants to be the leader. And Cosmic yeah. Cube Hitler yeah. gets to do it. Huh. And he doesn't want that. Which, by the way, Cosmic Cube Hitler, same as the hate monger. So that hate monger is Hitler. That Hitler <laughs> is a hate monger. It's all... And also, yeah. like, oh, man. Cosmic, Cosmic Cube Hitler, that's basically what the red school is yeah right no like it's it's you know the enemy of my enemy stuff marvel does kind of want you to believe that like you know what red skulls like like hitler's pretty bad but red skull would be like you know he he's hitler he's worse hitler um like they they do want him to make it like the next level uh hitler well he kind of like in this i mean they explicitly do that in this story right like (laughs) he doesn't want red skull to get the cube but hitler's the the more the bigger threat here 
I think the challenge with Red Skull, like, I love Doctor Doom. I can like things Doctor Doom says and behaviors, right? Same with the Joker. You can laugh at a Joker joke. Joker's still awful. Kills lots of people. You can never like the Red Skull. <laughs> like, like you cannot yeah. have a moment where you're like, ah, good one, good one, uh, ready. <laughs> like, you cannot, you <laughs> cannot have that moment with the Red Skull. And I think that is maybe what Charlotte, which is getting at, which is like, you run the danger of that when they're in this like, oh, we're just having fun in an alliance kind of team up of Red Skull, Sharon, and Cap. Even though obviously Cap doesn't trust him. You know, he's yeah, constantly throwing there's his no shield at him to like, stop him, you know? Yeah, there's, there's no moment where they look each other in the eyes and, like, nod and go, like, all right, let's team up together. Here. Like, Captain America always has an eye on him to make sure that he's not going to, you know, break free and get the skull for uh, the cube for himself. And, like, you know, yeah, he's constantly trying to betray him and, like, you know, just use him for what he needs. And, yeah, I, I, that would be a problem for me. I, I do. <laughs> I just like... think it, it does kind of run the danger of being a little too cute with the red skull when you play with this sort of story where it's like, Oh, there's that rascally skull trying to get the cube again. Um, that stuff can hit a little wrong in retrospect. Uh, but premise wise, I do think it's very, it's very successful at what it's trying talk to talk about. Oh, well, Sharon Carter, I just want to mention is like, I guess she died. I missed that. Uh, she came back. She's very uh, angry and she's very like cynical about captain America here. Yeah, uh-huh. It is very funny to be reading this, like, very badass, tough 90s chick. And then I went, like, later that night and I read uh, Captain America, like, 138 or something. Um, a Stan Lee one. And it's, like, Sharon Carter, <clears throat> at the end of it, Captain America is, is victorious over his foes in front of Sharon Carter. And she's so excited she faints. <laughs> <laughs> she's just so happy that he's okay that she passes out. Yeah. And then Captain America's like, where's Sharon? Because he doesn't see her because she's on the floor. And he leaves and he's like, I guess Sharon didn't want to see me. <laughs> and then she wakes up and she's like, I guess Captain America left and doesn't care about me even though I fainted. Um, I, I do like so, this yeah, Sharon. The, the certainly by comparison. You know, it's a take uh -huh, Yes kind of Sharon um she called and, and she's an interesting place too like where she's calling out cap like and it, I forget what the quote is but it's something to the effect of like why would I want to serve America you know with all their failings and that sort of like she's got some criticisms here for cap mm -hmm. to have to deal with and yeah. I I find her interesting as a character who was a previous romantic interest probably will be again of Steve but is also like making him account for and deal with the challenges of being Captain America essentially uh, in Gar Garney, Garney's art, I think, is very good. This actually got me thinking about um, some of the, like, the different aspects that uh, we like look at art with. Because I think he's um, he's very good at writing like good panel layouts, good storytelling, um, good action, right? Like all, all of it looks nice. I think he's mm -hmm. pretty bad at design, um, which is something that we don't split up that often. So what like designs? anytime he's designing, like there's costumes or... Uh, landscapes or sci-fi buildings or something. I think it's all pretty dull and boring. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the the rest of it looks fine. <laughs> there's a very funny thing where, like, all the American soldiers get turned into Nazis when there's, like, an escape of Hitler's cosmic cube energy kind of, like, transforms the area yeah. in this army base. Uh, and a bunch of American soldiers get turned into Nazis, but, like, I, they don't exactly want to, like, underline that all these Americans are Nazis exactly. So they have... They have swastikas on their sleeves, but they're really, really flimsy ones. Like, they're like, 
italicized yeah. swastikas. <laughs> it's really funny how uh, it, it's like, I, I'm not sure if they just didn't want to fully commit to the idea. So it's like, they have very little weak, weak little flimsy swastikas drawn on their arms. Um, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah so, like a, like a half, a half one doesn't count or yeah, something. Yeah, um, yeah. Cause, it, Cause they are so, yeah, they, absolutely part of this third world Reich coming out of this yeah, world. But war overall, this pre- all pretty, pretty good art. Yeah. I, I think it, it feels a bit like, you know, kind of what we've been saying with like the Jeff Love stuff or not the Jeff Love, the Tim Sale stuff um, where it's like, cause Garney's, you know, still very active. Um, and comics mm-hmm. is going to do a lot of comics for Marvel. Um, but just that feeling of like, Hey, we're coming out of the, we're getting artists with their own influences who have a clearer sense of pace and storytelling. And, you know, this is something we haven't even mentioned yet, but it's like, so Mark Wade's joining here, right? We haven't talked about much of Mark Wade. He did a, like that Deadpool mini. He's been writing the flash since 1992 at this point you know he's huh. he's several years into one of the most critically acclaimed flash runs of all time um a guy knows how to tell a story right guy knows how to pace yeah. a comic like yeah. clearly knows how to collaborate with a wide variety of talented artists and and that like that confidence and you know you mentioned like marvel's talent seeking challenges like this is this is the type of creator where it's like hey we're getting mark wade in the picture um we've got kurt busiak more active uh we've got you know jeff Loeb even Right. And some of these names coming in, you know, Warren Ellis, obviously, for for all the flaws um, that we now know. But it's like, you know, you have these names coming in where it's like, okay, we're getting a new wave of of storytellers who are names that are going to be around and well known in comic circles for a decent long time. Yeah. 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 I mean, it really does feel like he feels like the 90s guy that we're getting where I'm like excited to follow his career and like see. The rest of it. I mean, Jeff Loeb is here, and Jeff Loeb has some good stuff coming up. But like, Mark Mark White is a big blind spot for me. Um, I've read a little of his Flash run, and then what we've read for the club. But besides that, not much. So like, yeah. excited to see that. But like, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's interesting how a few like big names here are ones that like go on to have like pretty notable careers. Whereas like through the eighties, it was we we're flush with creators who it was like Miller and DiMatteis and Byrne uh, were like. Nascenti, right? Like doing stuff, and it's like, yeah, they're still going to be doing really cool stuff for you know decades. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. As much as I as I didn't get into the the overall premise of the comics, they're definitely very compet- competently done comics. And Wade has a style that it almost feels like you can see the mo- more modern two thousand style coming and starting to shape itself into Marvel. Like right. it felt like a very way more modern comic than. Even like even the very end of Grunewald's run feels very deeply nineties, and this feels already more modern. It it's it's interesting. So a couple, no, two things. Wade's run ends with the next arc. He gets one more what like six issues, I think. Yeah, seven issues, and then it's over. Um, in nineteen ninety six. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know, like editorially, why he editorially why he got yanked from it. I mean, um, wait, go ahead. But the uh, the other thing is, we're talking about this, and I like this run. If this was the kind of story that he had, like, stuck with, if he did 100 issues and he was still kind of doing this kind of thing, I think I would get kind of tired of it. Like, I like this story, but, you know, as we said about, like, back to basics, if this was the storytelling mode he did for this character for dozens and dozens of issues, I, I could see this getting a little tiring. He's quite good at it. Um, I mean, Wade has returned to Captain America several times um, since yeah, this okay. era. He After writes a miniseries one. called yeah. Captain America Man Out of Time which came out in the, I want to say like 2010, which is like five issues. It's a really good Captain America out of the ice kind of origin story. Um, 
you know, it's obviously that's the type of story that has a time and place, you know, but it, like it's really well done. And then he comes back to Cap in the Marvel Legacy era with Chris Somney, like in 2016, 17. So like he's a creator who's revisited Cap to varying degrees of success, but always, always handles it pretty well. Um, it, it's definitely up his wheelhouse. I think I'm probably of a similar in a similar place with you, Zach, where it's like this type of get it back to the core stuff, I think is very useful to get out of a funk. Um, I don't know. Ne- yeah. Like you're saying, like, I don't want to read 30 issues of it necessarily uh, mm-hmm. because then you, then you actually need to start taking those risks again. Right. It's that perpetual. Yeah. Start adding, pull. adding to the world. Like Grunewald did with us agent. He was talking about that in that letter, which you check out Dave's tweeter, <laughs> tweeter, <laughs> check out Dave's Twitter <laughs> for a, uh... To, to see him talking about this but the, the final page he talks about what he's added it's Captain so America. additive it's, it's really bit. cool to see him yeah. kind of humbly say like hey remember how we added crossbones the serpent society um all these different u.s things. agent u.s agent's huge US right? agent. that's a, a great addition yeah um, well and he yeah, and he makes the point Grohl makes the point that like i wanted to leave captain america in better hands like i wanted mm-hmm. to leave the captain america property better than i found it um, yep. So it was a conscious decision to be like, okay, so let's be additive. I love that approach to to superhero comics because it's like they are not your toys, you know. Like that's both pro and con. But it's like creators who get that. I think a lot of times they they tend to tell the best stories because it's like they're good in the moment and they leave the thing better for when somebody else picks it up. I, I mean, it is. I get that, but it, it is also like so frustrating to then be a you know brew baker. <laughs> in creating Winter Soldier and then being like, yeah, they gave me $3,000 uh, when they made the biggest movies in the world about him. I got $3,000. Oh, I'm, I'm talking, yeah, 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 right. I'm talking. Yeah, so, so but no, I, I know what you're saying. Like, Ty- yeah. Tynan said that uh, about Batman, right? And he's creating, I think you're, you brought that up, but like, that he wants to create new characters and he wants to create lots of new characters for Batman and like create legacy for this character. But it is a, you know, storytelling yes i'm totally with you storytelling good uh corporate financials not Uh, really yeah not where they maybe should be i think uh fair to say there yeah Um, i can't believe we have talked for an hour and 15 minutes one of our longer episodes lately (laughs) about these two i mean captain america sure there's plenty here but like i can crossing line we talked so much about that that's because i knew i knew we would not have a lot to say about the plot but it summarizes a lot of what's going on in the era, right? And yeah, I, and yeah, yeah. I'm just surprised this episode went this long. Yeah. yeah. So next episode, <laughs> speaking of things that summarize the era, uh, we're going to get back into the Spider-Man clone saga. And we're going to get back in, and we're going to finish it, baby. We're going to do it in one. Um, so Spider-Man clone saga is going to wrap next episode. Be here for that because it's a weird and wild fast track that I put together. Um, we are not reading absolutely everything, although certainly Charlotte and Zach, you are welcome to. Uh, but I have I have yep. summarized a fast track through the Clone Saga experience that I think will give us what we need. Uh, and then we've got a Patreon issue, and then after that, we're going to go into the uh, to, into the Age of Apocalypse. So we're going Clone Saga, then Age of Apocalypse. That's going to round out 1985, and I've literally never been more excited in my life. Yeah, exciting. <laughs> oh, speaking about uh, speaking of Clone Saga. Uh, Owen Likes Comics was on the first episode. Yeah. Uh, he just did a video about the the crossing, which is which is interesting and gives some context about uh, like the editorial reasons behind it and uh, mm-hmm. how it maybe paves a bit of the way f- to uh, some events that are going to be upcoming next year. So go check that out if you if you want uh, more information. Does cool. he credit us with the inspiration for that video? <laughs> Clearly following the My Marvelous Year Club. <laughs> 
I'll have the MCU, to Owen loves comics. They're all riding our coattails. Yeah, definitely. Everybody, everybody chasing yeah. MMY. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. So thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash this year. Uh, you can also rate and review on iTunes. That helps us tremendously. You can find me at comicbookherald.com, at comicbookherald on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Charlotte at Fierro Charlotte on Twitter. You can find Zach running the My Marvelous Year account at My Marvelous Year on Twitter. Uh, music for the show is by Disasterpiece. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year. See you next, next year. year.